Hello, this is Mark Brown for Beyond the Room at Mind, State and Society 1960 to 2010, which is half a century of UK psychiatry and mental health services. It's been a day-long event here at the Institute of Medicine, um, and I'm here with... Dr Trevor Turner, consultant psychiatrist from East London. So Trevor just gave a fascinating presentation about kind of the history of community care and the kind of policies that led to it and what's happened since its inception. I think it'd be great for people listening at home just to hear kind of a potted version of, of your presentation. Um, you know, community care, where did it come from? Where we're going? Where are we at? Thanks very much, Mark. Um, community care was a movement that arose from the 1950s when there were 155,000 people in asylums in England and it was decided that this was an inappropriate use of resources. The buildings were growing old. Um, there were changes in attitudes towards an open-door policy and about letting patients out more. And there were new drugs available to make sure people could actually respond to treatment much better, a drug in particular called chlorpromazine. As a result of this, they started closing the hospitals to quite a marked degree, possibly too fast because there were limited resources outside and the whole basis of community care developed. This was a, a thoughtful policy, although badly funded, and the problems that it met were things like uh, a disbelief that actually people could be safe in the community and one or two outbursts of violence uh, leading to homicide inquiries of certain notorious patients who, who randomly attacked people in the streets or uh, on the stations. The most important event was probably what we call the Clunis Inquiry, a patient called Christopher Clunis who killed a man called uh, Jonathan Zito on a North London tube station uh, in the 19, uh, late 19, early 1990s. And this led to a report by uh, a, a judge called Ritchie, called the, the Ritchie Report on the Care and Treatment of Christopher Clunis, which pointed out lots of deficiencies in care, how he wasn't being followed up properly, how he wasn't being looked after in the right way, how he kept having a change of diagnosis, how people backed off from treating him. And the general view was that actually people were unsafe in the community and so attitudes towards care in the community became very mocking. In fact, the term care in the community became used as a sort of music hall joke by comedians about the nature of people's limitations. The, the, the process, however, was was good in many parts of the country in that people were allowed to look after themselves outside of hospital, that there were supportive community mental health teams going and seeing them on a regular basis, there were day centres, and the, the, the problem is that the story became rather dull because if you wanted to look at what was happening as a, as a, as a daily paper, you wanted to have an exciting story, not a dull story. So the person with a chronic schizophrenia who gets up in the morning, makes his own breakfast, goes to a day centre and has supper with his mum, that's not much to talk about. If, however, you've got a blood-soaked manic on the streets running amok, that's a great story and you can bring it up on the newspapers, uh, you can bring it up when it comes to trial, you can bring it up when it comes to sentencing. And so there was a dreadful stigma attached to the whole community care project. The, the government tried to deal with this by going for risk management as a process and trying to consider ways in which you could prevent this. They wanted to set up a thing called a supervision register whereby all doctors would have to put, a, put on a list all the patients they had who were psychotic. Uh, so this was a kind of labelling of people as being dangerous and, and unreliable. Uh, the consultants and psychiatrists by and large refused to do anything about that and refused to fill out the supervision registers. So the government then had to move to a, a Care in the Community Act which gave, it, gave powers to detain people but no powers to treat people. And this went on eventually to community treatment orders that have come in more recently. The problem with community care, therefore, is that it was a 
wonderful idea in terms of moving people out of the asylums, but now the nature of the, the risks associated have led to, from, we've gone from de-institutionalization, that's closing down institutions and because of the considerations of institutional neurosis, to re-institutionalization. We've now been gradually privatizing the whole system and private health authorities, private health companies, for example, um, Signet, have now got what several hundred private hospitals set up in the in the community all over the country as forensic medium secure units with limited quality of care and people locked away again. So and that's building up right across Europe in, in this country as well. So we've gone from deinstitutionalization of our community care to reinstitutionalization, but we privatized the whole thing, um, <coughs> and they've even privatized the inquiries system. So. The, the funding for mental health services is very is spotty anyhow and always has been at the bottom end of the spectrum. I mean, mental health services are known as Cinderella services, for example. And now we are struggling to find that we can look after people properly in the community. Um, the new developments have been, instead of a community mental health team covering all aspects of care in a particular location, one area, one psychiatrist, one ward, uh, one team, now you have the teams broken up into crisis care teams and assertive outreach teams and early intervention teams and forensic teams. And this separating of the teams has been has, is very difficult because, for example, the crisis intervention teams, they're told they've got to keep people out of hospital because, of course, we've run out of beds. We've, there's a great bed shortage uh, throughout the community, as we know. People have to be shipped hundreds of miles to inpatient care. And the, the cuts in that sense, the... the the good side of community psychiatry, keeping people out of hospital, has now meant that people are no longer able to get into hospital because the bed cuts have been so severe. So it's a, a two-edged sword, <coughs> and we've rather become sort of kind of lost in terms of where we go next in the whole, the whole notion of community psychiatry. So, so your, your, your kind of career, your kind of thinking about this, I'm guessing goes back you know, a fair amount of time, fair amount of experience with this. Mm. For you, what is the most awkward thing about the history of community care the thing that most stubs your toe when you look back on it or even look forward I think the most awkward thing was is probably the fact that they hadn't really planned for it they'd planned to close the asylums but then the ideas as to what they're going to replace it with in terms of community mental health teams or resources were very spotty and they were well provided in some parts of the country they managed to get funding to go from the asylums into the community care teams, but actually the money got taken away by other aspects of health care. Um, for example, there were 120 large asylum um, buildings in wonderful parts of the country, all sold off, mainly as private developments, mm. and that funding didn't go to mental health services at all. And so defending mental health services from the shortages of other health services, I mean, let's face it, babies dying and cancer patients always come in front of people with chronic psychiatric problems. That's been the real dilemma, is that we thought people would be prepared to fund it, but we, we haven't actually had the, the support available. <coughs> and the stigma generated by psychiatry in general has, co has a constant bugbear in that psychiatrists are seen as n not far different from their patients in various ways and unreliable. And I think we've not represented really ourselves strongly enough in terms of p what our needs to the government. And, and we just rather, we've rather bowed down to some degree and let uh, policies take over us rather than we d decide policy. So, so that leads me on to my final question, if that's okay. The, there's kind of been quite a lot of development in mental health over the last 10 years or so. Um, there's lots of, we're getting it right now, we're going to stop getting it wrong. Um, 
looking at community care, there are kind of new guidelines and new this and that. What kind of what kind of lessons from the past do you feel there are? <laughs> Hundreds of lessons from the past. Yeah. I mean, uh, number one lesson from the past is that we must be able to communicate with patients and deal with stigma because otherwise you'll never get any funding or support. Number two, we have got new medications and we need to use them and they've been very effective in helping people stay well and we need to defend the use of new medications and not get people uh, uh, sign off them because they're meant to be dependence-inducing, whatever it might be. An antidepressant is no more dependence-inducing than an antibiotic. If you need it, you need it. And and I think we, we need to be clearer in our communication with the public in terms of destigmatizing psychiatry, in terms of explaining to them what it's all about, what the diagnosis is all about, and getting our colleagues on board instead of fighting with social workers, getting social workers to work with us, um, having community psychiatric nurses well trained and supporting us, and, and all speaking from the from the same hip, so to speak. That that seems to be the most important thing. That that beautiful picture of a kind of heavenly chorus of professionals and patients together making making the future happen is a good point for us to end on. Thank you.